Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. The Lord Jesus is going to come to judge the world. He's going to rule a glorious eternal kingdom. He's going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. This is the hope of the gospel. All that we long for, all that God has promised will certainly come to pass. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe, Senior Pastor of Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you ever feel exhausted by the struggles of life? Is it hard to look beyond the present and have an internal perspective? If so, you'll want to stay tuned for all of today's message. We're nearing the end of our study in Revelation and beginning to look at the conclusion of this amazing book. Here's Pastor John Monroe. Can you believe that we're almost at the end of our study in Revelation? The next broadcast will be the last one. And I trust this has not just been a series giving information about the book of Revelation, but has been one which has warmed our hearts and increased our love for our Savior. As I look back on our time in Revelation, I thought it would be helpful to answer the question, why study Revelation? The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to write this book as his last word to us in the canon of Scripture. So, if we want to understand the whole counsel of God, we should read and study it. We don't want to get lost in the details, but today we will remind ourselves of the great drama of redemption. I have three goals as we conclude our study in the book of Revelation. First, I want to briefly summarize why John wrote this book. Uh, Secondly, to remind ourselves of the broad outline of the book. And then third, to look at the amazing conclusion to the book in Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. But first, turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. Let's remind ourselves of the first three verses of Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation. There's a Greek word, apocalypsis. This is the apocalypse. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That is so important. We're going to see that this book is about Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Great beginning to a great book, the beginning of the apocalypsis of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, why did we study the book of Revelation? Well, obviously, it's part of Scripture. But I want to suggest three reasons why we studied it and why we should continue to study it. First of all, Revelation, this book, is an encouragement to persevere. An encouragement to persevere. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, whether it's in the first century or whether we in the 21st century living in North or South Carolina, or whether you're living in Kazakhstan or China or Brazil, being a follower of Jesus Christ has always required 
perseverance. It requires endurance. Following Jesus is not easy. I haven't found it easy. I don't think you find it easy. That is, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to live a life to the, which is going to please God, this is not easy, and it requires perseverance. It requires endurance. Why is that? Many reasons. But we have three enemies. We have the devil. He's our enemy. He's our adversary. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser. He's always opposed to those who follow Christ. So there's the devil. And then there are our own sinful desires. As a follower of Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. So we have these wonderful desires to glorify God. Uh, We want to please God, but at the same time, we have what the Bible calls the flesh, the sinful desires, which can so easily allow us to fall into sin. So there's the devil, there's our own sinful desires, and then there's the world. There's the attractions of the world, the surrounding culture, which pulls us and so easily squeezes us into its mold if we're not careful. Uh, So the young man going into high school, if he's not careful, although he's a follower of Christ, he becomes just like his ungodly friends. The woman who's working in her office, she wants to follow Christ. She's a true follower of Christ. But if she's not careful before long, she has compromised and conformed to the culture of that office, which is dictated by ungodliness. This is so easy, isn't it? In the Christian life, there are temptations, there's disappointments, there's opposition, there's persecution, there's failures and discouragement. And it's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. We all know people who once were following Jesus, but today they're no longer following him. They've given up, as it were. They've drifted back. And their life is now no different from the unbeliever in a godless culture. So over and over again, the Bible is exhorting us, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, to run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm to run with endurance. The race is set before me. I'm like an athlete. It is laid out. I know what I must do. And if I'm going to run with endurance, above all else, I must keep my eyes on Jesus, says the writer of Hebrews, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That is, we're to keep pressing on. Paul says we're to fight the good fight. We're to finish the course. We're to keep the faith. And so when we come to the last book of the Bible, this magnificent book, the writer is giving giving us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, a magnificent encouragement to persevere. Be strong. Be strong and courageous. I don't know what that means in your setting, but you know, in your family, in your friends, wherever God in his sovereign purposes places you, you are to be salt, you're to be a light for Jesus Christ. You don't put a light under the bed, Jesus is saying. No, the light is to shine. You're following Jesus, who's the light of the world. So persevere. Don't quit. Take a stand for God. And here in Revelation is a wonderful encouragement to persevere. But secondly, the message of Revelation is also an account of the consummation of God's promises. 
at the end of the age. All of us wonder about the future, don't we? How will things end? We hear it from the diplomat, from the politician, from our armed forces. Uh, what's going on in the world? Will, will the world end with a nuclear holocaust? What about North Korea? What about Iran? Will there be some environmental disaster or drought or world famine or, or war? Or what about our future? But also, what about our personal future? You see, all of us here, unless Christ returns, are going to, are going to die. What about our, our future? What, what's your personal future? Not just the future of the world, not just the future of the country, but your personal future. Where do you see yourself? Is there a heaven? If so, what kind of place is this? Where is it? Is there a hell? Is that just something some fiery preachers shout and froth at the mouth over? Or is there such a reality as eternal punishment? What's going to happen? These questions, of course, are answered in the book of Revelation as we've studied them, which is an unveiling of the purposes of God. How good it is to know in our uncertain world that the consummation of history is not in the hands of the United Nations, is not in the hands of Putin, it's not in the hands of the North Koreans, it's not in the hands of the Iranians, and it's not even in the hands of Americans, can I say, or the British or the Scots, where, Lord willing, I'll be in a few days. It's not in their hands. It's in the hands of God. Isn't that good to know that the future of the world is in the hands of God and that the promises of God the promises of God and the prophecies of God are fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ that our sovereign God is working out we don't always realize it he doesn't always work by our timetable we sometimes wish he would do certain things that he doesn't seem to do but this we do know he is working out his perfect purposes, and nothing, and no one can thwart the eternal purposes of God. The future is in the hands of God, and what He has promised, as we read in the book of Revelation, and as we read in Scripture, what He has promised, He will certainly, certainly bring to pass. Our Lord Jesus is going to come to judge the world. He's going to rule a glorious eternal kingdom. He's going to make all things new. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. This is the hope of the gospel. All that we long for, all that God has promised will certainly come to pass. Isn't it true that all of the prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the coming of the Messiah, from Genesis through Malachi, that there was going to come this Messiah, God's perfect servant, all of these prophecies were perfectly fulfilled in the first coming of our Savior. Just so, all of the prophecies regarding the second advent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will be perfectly fulfilled as prophesied. Everything is going to be consummated in the hands of our great God. So it's a revelation, it's an encouragement to persevere. 
It's the consummation of God's promises at the end of the age. Thirdly, in Revelation, there is the exaltation of the Lamb of God. One of my goals in teaching the book of Revelation, and I hope I fulfilled it, was to keep the spotlight on Christ. Not to try and be an amateur uh, world politician, to try and say, well, this is where it's going to happen, and Iran is going to do this, and Russia is going to do this, and China is going to do this, and all that kind of things that are so frequent trying to piece together world events rather than doing that to keep the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our study of Revelation, we have seen frequent references to the Lamb of God. He is the center of Revelation. He's the center of human history. And he's certainly the central figure of all of eternity. When the question's asked... In chapters 4 and 5, who can open the scroll, the title deed to future events? Who can open it? There is only one one found worthy, and that is the Lamb. He opens the scroll and breaks the seven seals. When John looks through the door into heaven, into the very throne room of God, he sees the throne of God. He sees the four living creatures. He sees the elders. But who else does he see? John says in Revelation 5 verse 6, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. At the very center of heaven is our magnificent Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world is now the triumphant lamb. Isn't it interesting that when the lamb opens the sixth seal and people cry to God, Cry, who can hide us from the wrath of the Lamb? This one conquers the nations. The Lamb is going to rule his kingdom. He comes to rescue us and restore us. So central to Revelation is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's worthy of all praise and honor. Revelation 19, verse 10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He comes to judge evil. He comes to eliminate the evil triad of the devil, of the beast, of the false prophet. He comes to set up his kingdom on earth. The lamb is triumphant and extends and offers his grace to those who come, to those who will repent and drink from the water of life, that living water, that eternal water. And it is offered without payment and without prize is offered to you freely this magnificent gift of eternal life through the Lamb of God. And as the Lamb, He is the light of the New Jerusalem. We learned that in the New Jerusalem there's no sun, there's no moon, because the Lamb is the light, and He reigns with His saints forever and ever. And He's saying, surely I'm coming soon. Our Lord Jesus is coming soon. And we who love him, we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Does the reality of our future as the people of God grip you? This is magnificent, isn't it? The book of Revelation. Now, having given something of the the basic reasons for the book of Revelation, let me recap the basic outline of Revelation, uh, which I hope you've got, but I'm going to go over again the big 
uh, outline. I think so often the danger is as we study our Bibles, we study the minutiae, we study the detail, uh, we take verses out of their context. But as we read the Bible, certainly you need to be studying it intensively. But if you're going to understand the Bible, you need to read it extensively. You need to get the big picture and see the small picture in the light of the big picture and work out the big picture from looking at the, the details. Now, what's the basic outline of Revelation? Well, John tells us in Revelation 1.19, look at this key verse. Revelation 1.19, write therefore the things that you've seen. That's a vision of Revelation 1. The things that are Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. And then those that are to take place after this. Notice the two words, after this. This is the main part of Revelation comprising chapters 4 through chapter 22. Chapters 4 and 5, we have a door opened into the very throne room of God. Who do we see? We see the Lamb, who's also the line of the tribe of Judah, the only one able to take the scroll, which is sealed with these seven seals. And all of heaven is worshiping the one who's on the throne and who is on, and also worshiping the Lamb. And then the seven years of tribulation. What's the tribulation? period of seven years when the judgment of God falls on the world. And that occupies chapter 6 through 18. So you've got this large section, chapter 6 through chapter 18. What's the basic topic? The tribulation period. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. The seven trumpets are contained in the seventh seal. The seven bowls are contained in the seventh trumpet. And the seven bowls are the capstone of divine judgment on the earth. They're poured out at the very end of the great tribulation as Christ returns to earth. In spite of all of the judgments of God, isn't this interesting? In spite of all of the judgments of God on the earth, the followers of the Antichrist, the beast, don't repent. They have his mark. 666, and they continue to blaspheme God. The false kingdoms and the armies of the world gather at Armageddon. And then in chapter 17 and 18, we have the great prostitute known as Babylon the Great. What is Babylon the Great? It's a global system, economic, political, and religious world system. It's a world government controlled by the beast. It's man's religion. It's man working out, as it were, his salvation, what he thinks. It's man in rebellion against God. And we spent some weeks in Revelation 17 and 18 and traced it right back to the Tower of Babel. When man tried to reach God by himself, how foolish. And God scattered the people in Genesis 11. And in Revelation 17 and 18, Babylon is utterly destroyed by God. Revelation 19, what happens? is the great climax of Revelation. 
It is the return of our magnificent Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes to the earth on a white horse, waging war against all evil. The heavenly armies are with him. The beast, false prophet who oppose him, are thrown into the lake of fire. And the Lamb, the Lamb of God, our Savior, is now the conqueror who judges the world and consigns the beast and the false prophet to their eternal doom. And he institutes his kingdom. So in the first 10 verses of Revelation 20, we have the millennial kingdom. Believers in Jesus Christ, reigning with Christ on earth for a thousand years. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? I look forward to that. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a world with Satan bound? When sin rears its head, it's immediately stamped down because our Savior rules with a rod of iron. Putting it simply, Jesus is in charge. Not a world government, not a government devised by man, but a government instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the thousand years, what happens? Satan is released and deceives the nations as they gather for war around Jerusalem. Fire descends from heaven and kills them, and Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where he'll be for all of eternity. In the closing verses of Revelation 20, the unsaved, the unbelievers are brought before God for judgment at the great white throne. And there John records these awesome words, awful words, whose ever name was not written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. You say, is God really like that? My, my, my God is loving. My God is kind. My God is also loving. My God is also kind. But the true God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a holy God and is a just God. And those who refuse Him, those who rebel Him, those who refuse to repent, are thrown into the lake of fire. And then, as we saw in the last few weeks in Revelation 21 and 22, John describes the new Jerusalem, the eternal dwelling of the people of God. And the beauty and the brilliance of Jerusalem, of the new Jerusalem, is described. Don't you find this? I do. Such a great motivation to be faithful to Christ. That's Pastor John Monroe. And you're listening to The Verdict. We'll continue our lesson titled, The Time is Near, and conclude our study in Revelation when we come back for tomorrow's program. But in the meantime, check out our website at theverdict.org. There you can listen to previous lessons and download or request your free copy of John's brand new booklet titled, For the Time is Near, Lessons from Revelation. This new booklet is meant to help you better understand the big picture of the events and key takeaways of the book of Revelation, so you can read and study Revelation in context. So get your free copy of John's booklet titled, For the Time is Near, by visiting us online at theverdict.org. And you can also get John's listening guide that offers notes for each of his messages in our study series on Revelation. Again, just go to theverdict.org to discover more. And while you're on our website, you can also help us continue sharing the truth of God's Word with fellow listeners by supporting The Verdict with a donation of any size. Through your generous giving, you can help share the gospel of Jesus Christ in your community and beyond. 
to give whatever amount you feel led to. Simply visit theverdict.org. You can also give over the phone by calling us at 833-551-2231 or send a check through the mail. Just address your envelope to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. And now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? As you look back on this study, what has been some of the important truths you've learned? How has this impacted you? I trust your interest in this book of Revelation has grown. Keep reading and rereading it. Because we don't understand something doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to understand. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. God's Word gives light, and as we're living in the last times, it is important to look up to Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.